0: Pray with me, Father in heaven, it's our desire to bless your name, uh, to show your name to be great by listening, by receiving, by hearing from you. So we pray that you would work in us even now, that would take away any resistance to your word, uh, that we would be ready to hear from you. And Father, that that which is from you would have a great impact upon us. Uh, So please do that work even now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn please to Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews in chapter 11, I want to read verses 32 to 38. Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now as we come to these sort of final verses, I'll pick up the last two with chapter 12 next Sunday. But as we come to these final verses of chapter 11, uh, remember the theme here, obviously, is faith. We're to live by faith. And as I mentioned a little while ago, that this isn't faith in faith. Uh, It isn't... uh, uh, Simply good to believe in something. We're just not simply eternal optimists trusting that everything is going to work out because it usually does. I mean, the great danger of living in America is the fact that most things for a good bit of our lives do work out okay. That our health is okay, that we have enough money, that we have, our shelter is adequate, that we have enough food and all of that. And that if you sort of work at it long enough, hard enough, things do go okay for us. Historically speaking, uh, that's the way it is. Uh, And so the great danger is to think that we don't need God. In fact, it may well be that the most dangerous people in all the world for the sake of Christianity are those who are not believers in Christ but who seem to live nice lives. Nobody wants to grow up, really, or very few, fortunately, and be someone like Hitler or Stalin. But everybody wants to grow up and be like Michael Jordan or Oprah. Uh, uh, because these are nice people who seem to have a nice life and you're able to do that without faith in Christ. Those are dangerous people, you see. That's the spirit of Antichrist that John talks about in 1 John in chapter 2, uh, that isn't simply against Christ but puts an alternative over and above Christ that looks very good to us, you see. So we talk about having faith. It isn't simply having faith in faith or faith in ourselves or faith in our way of life or faith that things are going to simply work out okay because they generally do. It's faith in God, faith in Christ. It's very likely that the Egyptians that we looked at last Sunday had a great deal of faith in their horses and chariots and soldiers. But we know that wasn't the determining factor of victory in that particular situation as they went through the Red Sea. What was key to the victory of the Israelites was their faith in God. They certainly didn't have any chariots. They certainly didn't have any any soldiers. They certainly didn't uh, have any horses. but, But what they had was God. And they trusted in Him and He delivered them. The Egyptians trusted in everything else but God and, of course, they were defeated. So the difference between the two is faith. Not simply faith in faith, but faith in God. God is the object, is the very one who can deliver. So our faith is objective in that sense. It has an object. The object is, is God himself and the promises that he's made. Therefore, the author of Hebrews says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we have hope and God gives us hope. For he makes promises to us of very good things. It's important to remember that hope is 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 is, is that which is looking forward to something which is good. Right? If you're a student, you may expect to fail, but that isn't your hope. Right? You're not hoping to fail. You, you, know, you may expect something bad to take place, but that's not what you would call your hope. That's your expectation. it's a horrible expectation. Something's going to go wrong. Something's going to fail. Something's going to be bad. Something's going to be troublesome. Your hope is always in that which is in the midst of perhaps the bad circumstance, but that which is good. And so God makes promises to us and he says, you can trust these, you can believe these, you can cast your affections on these, you can cast your hope in these because I've made them and since I've made them, you can be certain that they will in fact come to pass. So we live with the certainty of sins forgiven. Even though we see ourselves sin and even though we feel guilt, we know that because of Christ and the promise of God in Him that our sins are forgiven. We know that to be true. We trust God that He's forgiven us our sins. That we're justified. That even though though we see our unrighteousness, we know that God sees us as righteous because of Christ. That's His promise to us. That if we believe in Him, then the righteousness of Christ is ours. And so we live by faith, knowing that to be true. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God is in us, working the character of Christ in us, empowering us to be His witnesses. And though we see ourselves fail in every area of life, still we retain the hope, The faith, trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. We know that we belong to the community of the church. And even though we may not feel that way at any particular moment in time, we hope, our hope is, that it's true that we're part of this community. Not just here, but throughout the world. And not just now, but throughout all of history. And so we know that we're part of this huge community of, of believers in Christ, people that Christ has saved. And though we may not see that at any point in time, in fact, throughout history, some have been very isolated from that, either historically, because the word just isn't, doesn't seem to be strong at that point in, in history, or because they're, they're, they're um, renegade in some way or, or cast off uh, because of persecution. And so they're by themselves, and yet still by faith they know, I'm, I'm part of this bigger body. And that is my hope for fellowship for all of eternity with Him. By faith we understand that when we die, our spirit goes to be in the very presence of God. We don't see that. can't see that with these eyes. But we trust it. And that's our hope. That's our hope for ourselves. That's our hope for those who die before us, who die in faith. We trust that now they are in the very presence of God. We're assured of that because God has promised that and we trust Him. We know that a day will come when Jesus will return and when He returns, He's going to make this earth new and He's going to make it new in such a way that everything reflects Him, that everything will remind us of Him. Everything will be just as He wants it to be and that will be perfect in all of its ways and that we will in fact see Him and we will be as He is in terms of our character and will receive This body as he has, which is an eternal body, an imperishable body, and we will live for all eternity on this new earth. All of that is our hope, though at the moment we don't see it with our eyes, but we live by faith, assured of it, because God has made that promise. We don't think we can bring it to pass. We're not trusting in ourselves to bring it to pass, but we're trusting in him that he will bring it to pass because he's the one who's made the promise, so we're to live by faith. Now, the author of Hebrews then gives us all kinds of illustrations about living by faith. He talks about people that we know. He talks about Noah, that God gave him this word that it was going to rain and flood, and that flood would be a a judgment on the earth, and that if he built this ark, he and his family would be saved. He trusted God and did it. He didn't see it the day he started building the ark but he started building the ark because the word of God had come to him and that was, his, that was God's promise to him and so his hope was that he would survive this judgment that he would f- survive this flood by way of this ark uh, Abraham was told by God to leave his country and God would give him a better country and so he did he didn't see it, he didn't even know where he was going but he went because he trusted the word of God and he trusted that God would be faithful to his promise. He told Abraham that you're going to have a son, and, and, and Sarah is going to be that son's mother. And so, by faith, he and Sarah, though looking at each other, would have said this could never happen, by faith, conceived this child. When God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he went. To do it because he trusted in the promise of God that if Isaac was indeed the son of promise, the son of the covenant, the the promise of the covenant, that that, that somehow he would bring him back to life. Moses believed God. His parents believed God. Their hope was that if they hid their child, he would be safe. And even though the king had said that you couldn't do that and that their life was in jeopardy because they did it, they still did it because their faith was in God and his promises. Moses spurned all of the treasures of Egypt so that he could experience the reproach of Christ that is suffering for the sake of Christ by identifying with the people of God who were slaves. But he did that by faith, trusting that what God had for him was better than all the treasures of Egypt, indeed, more wealth. When they went through the Red Sea, and they did it by faith, not because they thought they could hold up the waters, not because they thought they could get across uh, in their own strength, but that God had said, go, and so they were able to go. The walls of Jericho fell, not because of the military strength of the Israelites, but because of faith in God. He said, do this, they did it, and they were victorious. Rahab looked at the army of Jericho and realized that it was strong and powerful, looked at the army of the Israelites and saw that it was weak, but still sided with the Israelites. Why? Because she trusted God, because she had heard of him, and she knew his promises, and his power, and his strength, and that he was God of heaven and earth. So all of that's by way of illustration now to wind down. The author of Hebrews makes, for me, what is one of the most comforting statements uh, in all of the Bible. He says, for time would fail me. I feel that all the time. That's just a little joke. Um, But... He runs out of time, literally. He says, you know, I can keep going on and on and on and on, but I just don't have the time to do that. So let me just sort of sort of give you the, the final little blurb of all that I'm thinking. And so then he begins to list a number of people who have lived by faith. He talks about Gideon, obviously. He lived by faith. God whittled his army from 32,000 to 300. And now he says, go fight them, the Midianites. And he did, and he won. Barak uh, was bid by, uh, uh, by Deborah, the judge at that time, to go and fight against the mighty armies of the Canaanites headed by Sisera, uh, and he did, and though he was, he was uh, outmanned, outnumbered, he, he did, and he won. Um, uh, Samson, we know, though troubled by uh, foreign women uh, and his lust for them, uh, Samson was given the call by God to defeat the Philistines. And even in his weakness, when he was blind and old, still he carried that calling out by faith. Jephthah, who made a foolish vow, if you know that story, a foolish vow, uh, by faith, overcame the fact that he he was the son of a prostitute and his brothers, who had a different mother, uh, cast him out, threw him out of the family. Uh, but when the time came to defeat to defeat the Amorites, they went and got him and said, come back and lead us. And he led them and he overcame all of his earlier problems by faith and he led them in victory uh, in those battles. David, of course, we know a man after God's own heart and though a sinner, uh, as the rest of us, uh, still by faith defeated Goliath, by faith established the kingdom. Um, uh, Samuel, the great prophet, and all of the other prophets, by faith told the word of God. And notice what they did, verse 33. Uh, Who through faith conquered kingdoms. We see that with this the Jericho battle that we considered last Sunday. And certainly of David and Solomon as they established the kingdom. Enforced justice. That is, they were the righteous representatives of God and the earth. And they brought God's justice, God's righteousness, to rule among the people. They obtained promises. That is, God gave promises to them And some of those promises they saw brought to fulfillment and others not. They stopped the mouths of lions. You know, the story of Daniel in the lion's den where by faith uh, he continued to pray. uh, Even though the king had said, if you pray, you'll get thrown into the lion's den. And he did. And God stopped the mouths of the lions quenched the power of fire, you know, the situation with King Nebuchadnezzar who built this golden idol and he said, he made the decree that everyone in the kingdom had to bow to this, to this particular idol, this image of, God, of a God uh, that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to do that. And he said, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, Still, we're not going to bow down. And you remember the situation. They were thrown into this fire that was so hot that even the people, who, the, the, the guards who, who, who threw them in were singed by the, by the heat of this, of this furnace. And yet, when they looked in, they saw a fourth one. Not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but there was a fourth one walking in the midst of these flames with them, and they were delivered, they were spared uh, that So they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. If you read about the life of of, uh, the prophet Elijah, you'll realize that King Ahab killed almost all the other prophets of God by the sword, but not Elijah. Uh, So they escaped the edge of the sword and made strong out of weakness. That's probably the uh, M.O. of people who live by faith. They understand their weakness, but by faith are given courage and strength made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Um, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Uh, Both Elijah, the prophet, and Elisha, the prophet, uh, raised uh, dead children. Sons who had died, they raised them back to life by faith. They did that. And as we read all of that that, that, that seems to fit perfectly with everything else that we've read so far. It's just, yes, triumph after triumph after triumph. We can feel some struggle in the midst of that, but the struggle is overcome and people are, are comforted, people are delivered. Uh, and, and that makes great sense to us. But then we go on. Some were tortured. And, and, and you almost think, given what we've read and given the attitude that sort of developed in us, that faith triumphs, that faith is victorious you think that maybe he should say, now here are some examples of people who didn't live by faith. Well, but he doesn't say that. These are still people who lived by faith. He says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again uh, to a better life. And we think, oh yes, rising to a better life. That's, that's the evidence of their faith that's what they trusted in. They knew that even though they were experiencing torture, they wouldn't recant their faith. They would continue on in faith because they knew that if they recanted of their faith, they would have a particular life. They would be given back their life, if you will, their physical life, and that would have a certain quality to it. And then they looked, but they couldn't, they couldn't live with God in that, in that life. And then they looked at the life that God had promised them, and they said, there isn't even a contest here. Continue to torture me. Some were tortured. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others uh, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains uh, and imprisonment. Uh, we find that, that uh, this, this torture that took place, if you read, I don't necessarily recommend that you do that, but if you have some spare time after you've read all of the Bible a number of times, you may want to read some intertestamental writings out of the Apocrypha. And uh, one of those books is Second Maccabees, and speaks of a number of tortures that took place uh, under uh, the persecution of a, of a man by the name of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. And there's a story in 2 Maccabees about seven brothers who were uh, tortured in succession for their faith, ultimately ending in their death. And one brother after another brother after another brother experiencing torture. And the w- torture was listed there, that, saying that they stretched each of these brothers out on the wheel of a catapult. And their torture included scalping and, um, and all kinds of things that I won't even repeat. Yet none of them uh, recanted their faith. One by one, continued to say they believed in, in God. The prophet Jeremiah was flogged and beaten and thrown into a pit. We know all these things. Tradition says that um, uh, it was the prophet Isaiah who was sawn in two. So others suffered mocking, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves uh, of the earth. So what are we to make of this? That's really the question I've been thinking about ever since I started preaching Hebrews a year ago, knowing this was coming up. There was a few things that I knew were coming up, and I began just playing in my head this whole year, thinking from time to time about, the, what are we to make of this? What are we to tell people? about life living by faith, if we can't promise them that their faith will deliver them in this life. What can we really tell them? But well, I think this first. First, sometimes God does deliver us triumphantly by faith, through faith, by way of miracles and by way of his providence. Sometimes he does that. We read about it in all these cases. We read about it with Noah. We read about it with Abraham. We read about it with Moses. We read about them crossing the Red Sea. We read about it with Jericho. We read about it with Gideon. We read about it with Jephthah. We read about it uh, with David. We read it about it uh, with all of these Old Testament people who by faith conquered greatly. And, 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 and we see the miracles of all of that. Not only do we, we recognize God's providence, that God is sovereign over all things. And so we trust that by faith, he uses, He works through His providence, his, his care and His concern for His people and His sovereign care and concern for His people, which means He controls everything for His glory and our good. We trust that there's stuff that doesn't happen. Stuff we may not even know about. But by faith He keeps us safe in various situations. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've been driving down the road in the highway, I pull out to pass somebody and I look in my rearview mirror, and there's like a big semi that I didn't see. And I think, Ooh. first words out of my mouth are, thank you, God. The second are, of course, I hope Karen didn't see that. Um, but, but thank you, God. You get this sense, okay. At that point, I was protected. But we know of other situations where people pull out to pass, and they're smashed by a semi believers and so yes it is true that by way of God's providence his sovereign control over everything you see nothing can happen without God's decree nothing can happen unless God ordains it because he's God, nobody's bigger than God so nothing can happen unless he ordains that it come to pass that's a mystery to us, we don't know how he does that He just does. It's the very nature of being God. The scripture speaks often of these kinds of things. For instance, Psalm 33 says this, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Nothing can thwart God's plans. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, Who has spoken and it come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? I mean, James in his epistle puts it like this, Come now you who say tomorrow or today we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Because you see, in the mystery of God and who he is, he ordains those things which come to pass. And thus those who live by faith trust Him in the midst of that. And sometimes what He ordains is miracles and his providence to deliver us from horrible circumstances. But sometimes He doesn't. That's obvious from this passage. Sometimes He doesn't. Some are captured and tortured. Uh, Certainly Jesus told us that that was going to happen. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, Behold, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And you think, well, why wouldn't you deliver me from that? He says, no, there are times when I won't. We hear testimonies of times that he does. But he also tells us there are times when he won't. He says this in John chapter 15 Remember the word that I said to you a servant's not greater than his master if they persecuted me they'll also persecute you. Then in John 16 he says I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace in the world you'll have tribulation but take heart I've overcome the world. Paul teaches the same thing not only for us but for himself as well. He told the elders of Ephesus this he said now behold I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I know what's going to happen. God will not deliver me from these pains, and I will go anyway. In Acts 21, there was a prophet named Agabus who came with this prophetic word. It says, and Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. He said, I know what's going to happen. God will not always deliver from these tortures, from these persecutions, from these difficulties uh, in life. Notice even here in verse 34, we see an interesting uh, contradiction, if you will. It isn't, but it looks that way. Um, In uh, verse 34, uh, we read, Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, but then... In verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. I mean, sometimes we escape the sword. Sometimes we don't. All by faith. For instance, in Acts in chapter 12, turn there, we read this about the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter. Verse 1, Acts 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword now what are we supposed to conclude by that that James had no faith i mean if he had faith he would have escaped the edge of the sword but the author of hebrews says no not always sometimes by faith you'll escape it and by faith sometimes you'll die by it he killed James the brother of John with the sword and when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also this was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but by earnest prayer for him was made. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now do you, you remember what happened. An angel of the Lord busted Peter out of prison, even though James had been killed. So we see both happening at the same time, both in the same instant, both with people of faith, both people God clearly loves. James, the apostle, was killed by the sword. Peter was miraculously set free. And we can't conclude from that James had no faith, and we can't even conclude from this Peter had great faith. Because when this was happening to Peter, he didn't realize it. He thought he was seeing a vision. Until he got outside, he didn't even realize that he had escaped. And so he wasn't really expecting this to happen. And so then Peter, remember, went to the place where they were praying for him. And he knocked on the door. And this girl named Rhoda came to the door and said, who is it? Peter said, it's me, Peter. She got all excited. She went back into all the people who were praying, no doubt for Peter, and said, Peter's here. And they said, can't be. He's in jail. And I want to know, what were they praying? Where was their faith, you see? And so we can't conclude that Peter had more faith than James and the people had more All we can see in the midst of this is that by faith, one was killed and by faith, one was miraculously set free. Even in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by faith, the fires were quenched. But we can read of thousands for whom the fire wasn't quenched. Uh, One of my favorites, if you can say you have a favorite burning at the stake story, uh, is... uh, two English pastors one Dr. Ridley one Dr. Latimer they were in England in the mid 1500's 1555-ish to 56 is when their main trouble happened and in those days prior to 1555 and somewhat after England was vacillating between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism and if you were out of sync as a pastor with the official position of England, you could be in great trouble. And it just so happened at this point in time, uh, Catholicism was in, Protestantism was out, and thus many Protestant ministers were being tried and asked to recant their Protestant faith. These two, Masters Ridley and Latimer, couldn't recant their faith. They couldn't believe in transubstantiation that the bread and the wine and communion turned to the little-bodied blood of Christ. They couldn't believe that when communion was happening that a propitiatory sacrifice was taking place, which is what they were called to believe in those days that Christ was actually being re-sacrificed. They couldn't hold to the sale of indulgences where if you gave enough money, sins for you or your relatives who had gone ahead of you could be forgiven. They couldn't believe any of that. They couldn't hold to that. And so they were come to be burned at the stake. And let me just read you some of his story. It's out of Fox's Book of Martyrs you should get that book and read the whole thing over and over again master ridley this is on their way to the stake master ridley looking back spied master latimer coming after him and said to him oh be ye there yes said master latimer have after as fast as i can follow so at length they both came to the stake dr ridley marvelously uh, dr ridley earnestly holding up both his hands looked toward heaven Then seeing Master Latimer with a wondrous cheerful look, he ran to him, embraced and kissed him, and comforted him, saying, Be of good heart, brother, for God will either assuage the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it. Now that was his faith. You can't say that these men went to the stake uh, because of a lack of faith. They believed God all the way through it. And with that he went to the stake, knelt down by it, kissed it, and most effectuously prayed, and behind him, Master Latimer knelt as earnestly calling upon God as he did. Master Ridley then held up his hand and said, O Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most heartily thanks, for you have called me to be a professor of thee, that is, to profess faith in you. Even unto death, I beseech thee, Lord God, take mercy upon this realm of England and deliver the same from all her enemies. Then the smith took the chain of iron and brought the same about Uh, both Dr. Ridley's and Master Latimer's middles. And as he was knocking in a staple, Dr. Ridley took the chain in his hand and shaked the same and looking aside to the smith said, Good fellow, knock it in hard, for the flesh will have its course. In other words, tie me tight. Then his brother did bring him gunpowder in a bag. And when I've tied the same around his neck, Master Ridley asked what it was. His brother said, Gunpowder. Then he said, I take it to be sent of God, therefore will receive it as sent from him. And have you any, said he, for my brother, meaning Master Latimer? Yes, he said, I have I have this, said his brother. Then gave it to him, and he said, Betime, lest ye be too late. So his brother went off and carried the same gunpowder unto Master Latimer. And they brought a stick kindled with fire and laid the same down at Dr. Ridley's feet. To Master Latimer spoke in this manner, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. When Dr. Ridley saw the flame flaming up towards him, he cried with a wonderful loud voice, Lord, receive my spirit. Master Latimer crying as vehemently on the other side, O Father in heaven, receive my soul. And Latimer received the flame as as if he were embracing it. And after that, he stroked his faith with his hands, as it were, bathed with them in the fire. And soon he died with very little pain or none. By reason of the evil making of the fire into Master Ridley, because, of the wooden, because the wooden sticks were laid about the bottom and over high built, the fire burned first beneath, being kept down by the wood. So in his case, the fire stayed low. which then Master Ridley felt, he desired them for Christ's sake to let the fire come unto him, which when his brother-in-law heard, but not well understood, intending to rid him of his pain, as one in such sorrow not well advised what he did, he heaped sticks upon him, so that he clean covered him, which made the fire more vehement beneath and below, that it burned clean all his bottom parts before it once touched the upper And that made him often desire to let the fire come unto him, saying, I cannot burn, which indeed he appeared well. For after his legs were consumed, he showed that side towards us, clean, shirt, and all untouched with flame. Yet in all his torment, he forgot not to call upon God, having in his mouth, Lord, have mercy upon me. Let the fire come come unto me. In which pangs he labored till one of the standers by with his bill pulled off the sticks above and where he saw the fire flame up, Master Ridley wrestled himself to that side. And when the flame touched the gunpowder, he was seen to stir no more. That's faith. Trusting that God had something better for him than life itself. Psalm 63, verse 3, King David says, Thy loving kindness is better than life. Meaning, your promises to me are better than life itself. I will give up life itself and cling to your promises. And that's what they did. And so while for some the fires were quenched, for others the fires blazed hot. And while for some they're put out of their misery quickly, and for others, like Master Ridley, it took a long time. But still by by faith, sometimes God miraculously delivers sometimes he doesn't so what's the common denominator well it's God you see God's the one who determines these kinds of circumstances not our faith we're called to trust him we're called to believe him in the midst of various kinds of situations and circumstances not believing him for a particular outcome, unless he's promised it. I mean, if he tells you, and you know for sure, the Red Sea's going to part, walk through it in faith. But you may not know how this is going to end up. But still, he says, walk through it by faith. Trust me in the midst of these circumstances. Because you see, what determines whether we're delivered or not is in our faith. It's God. And we trust in his power, as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, as Master Ridley said, we trust in his power, that he will either assuage the fire, blot it out, or he'll strengthen us in the midst of it. But either way, we're going to trust him and carry on with him. Because, you see, that we can trust him. Because we know in the midst of all this, our faith will suffice. Our faith will keep us until the manifestation of the promise. You see, when we first began Hebrews 11, I I not only quoted the normal versions of the Bible, but the King James version, not that it's an abnormal one, but it's an old one. And the way King James translates... Uh, Hebrews 11:1 it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen meaning taking this little nuance out of all of that that faith is something for you to cling to until what is promised comes in that sense faith is like an account receivable in the hands, in the books of a businessman. And he knows, I really, I don't have that money yet, but it's good. I can live my life with the assumption that that's really coming. That's really part of my wealth because I know that that person's good for it and they will pay me. And so you can live with the assurance of, maybe I don't have it today, but I will. And, and I, that's good. I don't have to worry now because I know that's coming, you see. Faith is like a kid whose grandpa said, I'm going to buy you a bicycle for Christmas. And you can see all your friends on bicycles, but you don't have to worry. Or you don't have your bike yet, but you know your grandpa will get you one because he said he would. And it's coming. And so the hope that you have by way of the promise of the promiser who is trustworthy suffices. And you hang on to that. And that hope will sustain And that hope will enable you to see what you don't presently see. And that hope will enable you to obtain in some sense that which isn't yet in your possession. And enable you to grab a hold of it in some sense so that you can live off it. You can live off it. You can face the fire if that's what it is. You can face the sword if if that's what it is. You can face the torture if that's what it is. You can face the pain if that wasn't it. Because you know that a day is coming because God promised it. When that pain will be no more. When that life will really be better. I can't tell you, just like you, how many zillions of funerals for unbelievers I've been to in my life. Where everybody says... This person's in a better place. And I just want to stand up and scream, how do you know that? What hope do you have really that's substantial, that's objective, that's real, that's tangible, that's for sure? And the great thing about being a Christian, you see, is that we don't have to make anything up. We don't have to pretend anything is that isn't. We don't have to be unsure of that which we don't yet see, but we have been promised by God. We live, we live by faith. Because it is the substance of all that God has promised to us. And it is the evidence that though we don't see it now, we will. And as long as faith in God is in us, then we have hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I don't know what my life will be in the days ahead. I don't know what our lives will be individually, collectively in the days ahead. I don't know what you have for us in terms of deliverance in this life or not. So I pray for me and for us that we will know you and we'll know your promises and that we will trust them and we will trust you and that that faith will be the very substance for us of all that you've promised that we can live on that until we see it. And that will bring us great joy is that you would be glorified either by the deliverance that you bring or by our death. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you please to stand. You know, I I once had someone tell me that Grace CBC isn't a feel-good kind of church. I don't know what they meant by that. Uh because i actually feel pretty good even after that the response to the benediction is our faith is in christ amen please receive this as god's benediction now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you blameless before his glorious presence and that with great joy to only wise god and the savior jesus christ and be glory honor dominion majesty and power both now and forevermore and all god's people said Our faith is in Christ. Amen.